minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano, I'm hosting today's program. This is the 40th year of the Anarchist World this week in its various manifestations, about 15 years on the National Community Radio Network. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on direct democratic principles. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. And why those two concepts? An anarchist society is a society without rulers, not without rules. It's, it's a non-hierarchical society where power is devolved and shared. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good, not for private profit. That's the two things we need to address if we want to create a society without rulers. If you're happy to have rulers, well... That's your problem. Now, um, some days are more difficult than others. Look, my um, partner and wife for the last 43 years, Ellen Jose, died at 5.17am on Friday the 2nd of June, age 66, after a 40-year battle for insulin-dependent diabetes. I'll speak about Ellen today because she considered you as part of her family. All the regular listeners to the Anarchist World this week. Ellen, a respected Torres Strait Islander elder who has lived in Melbourne for over 40 years, an internationally acclaimed visual artist, educator, anarchist, radical activist and tireless social justice campaigner, died after a long struggle with illness on Friday the 2nd of June. My partner and wife for the last 43 years, mother to Cheryl, Benjamin, Libera and Joshua and grandma Acker to Madison and Eli. Ellen died peacefully after a long struggle, surrounded by her family at Cabrini Hospital in Melbourne, as I said before, after a 40-year battle with insulin-dependent diabetes, which basically robbed her of everything. Now, I'd just like to say a few words about Ellen, because many of the listeners would have seen her. Those who knew her before her first um, major stroke in 2004 would have known that vibrant, tireless social campaigner and activist and artist. Those of you who met her 
after 2004 would have admired her tenacity and strength. Born in Cairns in 1951, she um, was a Torres Strait Islander, an indigenous uh, group that uh, most people seem to forget about, which makes up about 25% of the indigenous population in this country. She's a descendant of the people of uh, Mur, Arab, and Nuruppi Islands in the Torres Strait. She first came down to Melbourne in uh, 1974 when I met her 43 years ago and uh, has had a long, fruitful life, not just as a an acclaimed artist and all you've got to do is go on the net and put in the word Ellen, E-L-L-E-N, Jose, to see all the uh, things she has. Not only the fact that her, uh, she has a number of major installations and sculptures in the uh, Melbourne area, not only that she has work in the Australian National Gallery in Canberra, the Art Gallery of New South Wales in Sydney, the Australian War Memorial, the National Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne, the Gallery of Aboriginal Australia, National Museum of Australia in Canberra, the State Library of Victoria, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And many, many uh, international collections, both privately and publicly. But she wasn't your normal artist who painted pretty pictures. Exceptionally talented, known for her uh, oils, drawings, watercolours, ceramics, installations, video art, film around the country. Extraordinarily talented. But her work broached issues which has taken decades for mainstream Australia to take up. On the day that a straight funeral is being held for an uh, anti-sexual abuse campaigner in Victoria, it's important to remember that one of Ellen's first exhibitions in Loss of Innocence was held in 1991 at the William Moore Galleries in Melbourne, which canvassed the issue of childhood sexual abuse a quarter of a century, almost a quarter of a century, but it's been taken up by the rest of the community. In her 1992 exhibition, Black Diggers Ghost Fighters, again, which was held at the William Moore Galleries in Melbourne, she addressed the issue of the writing out of the historical record of black diggers in this country who fought for this country but were denied citizenship and also denied access to services when they returned. That was almost a, that was a quarter of a century before it became an issue. In 1993... Her work in the balance, again at the William Moore Galleries in Melbourne, addressed the issue of climate change a quarter of a century 
before it's become a real issue. From trash to treasure in 1994. Look at the changing role of Indigenous people in this country who was considered to be trash during the colonisation process. And the list goes on and on. And her famous 2013 exhibition, sorry, 2003 exhibition, A Fact is a Fact is a Fact Up Yours Windshuttle, confronted the historical revisionists who have been given so much airtime and print media time in this country, who rose as one after the 1992 Mabo High Court decision, attempting to denigrate and deny the reality facing this country. That exhibition was the impetus for the formation of the Tanaminaway and Morborhina Commemoration Group. She was a co-founder of the Libertarian Workers for a Self-Managed Society in Melbourne in 1976 and the Anarchist Media Institute in Melbourne in 1986. She was a co-founder of the Tanaminaway and Morborhina Commemoration Committee in 2004. Also, when we, her and I went up to Ballarat in 2002 to celebrate Eureka Day, which we felt was an important day in the history, radical history in this country. Nothing, nothing happened on the day. Nothing forgotten. As a result of that experience, we co-founded the reclaim the radical spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations which have continued every year since 2003 to highlight the radical nature of the Eureka Rebellion, to highlight the importance of the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. Helen has numerous group exhibitions Numerous references of her work in the literature. She was awarded an Eureka Australia Day Medal in 2009, but also was a great educator. A lecturer at Deakin University, a guest lecturer at Monash University. She held a Diploma of Education from the Melbourne State College Melbourne in 1979, a Diploma of Fine Art from Preston Institute of Technology in Melbourne, in Bandura, and a Certificate of of Applied Art, Seven Hills Art College in Brisbane. And she had four children. And all this happened after, at the age of 26, she was diagnosed with insulin-dependent diabetes. Over 80,000 injections during that period, over 120,000 needle pricks. Stroke in 2004, which dulled her intellectual capacities. Further pain and suffering. A slow, slow decline, but didn't stop her. She entered the dialysis program, had kidney failure due to the diabetes in 2014. She was a very strong courageous woman, obviously, like the rest of us. She had her faults, and I know them better than most, but we all have faults. We all have 
feet of clay. We all have issues we need to deal with, some more than others. But the purpose of life is to push through those issues. Last year on the 3rd of December, this is a woman who's basically confined to a wheelchair, can only walk a few steps, who's on dialysis, woke up at 3am, joined the Eureka celebrations at 4am at Eureka Park in Ballarat and continued, did the 13-mile walk in her uh, little buggy, which she did every year, returned back to the Eureka dinner. I mean, this takes courage, physical courage, mental courage, intellectual courage, especially when you are being robbed, robbed of every aspect of your intellect and physical capacity by a disease which just is grinding, a grinding disease that's slowly robbed of her sight in the last few weeks of her life, robbed of the ability to walk. So she was a courageous woman. This is not about lionising, Ellen, Jose. This is about stating the facts. As somebody who lived with her for over 43 years, we lived together for over 43 years, it's about stating the facts. In the old days, the old anarchist slogan was don't born organised, or the industrial workers of the world. Well, people like you and me can walk and chew gum at the same time. I've always believed in the statement, mourn and organise. We can do both. And we mourn the dead because not because it gives them comfort, they're gone. We mourn the dead because it allows us to assess our relationship with that particular person. It allows us to reflect. It allows us to learn. It allows us to protect and extend their legacy. And in Alan's case, her legacy, not just as an acclaimed artist... or an Indigenous warrior, or an anarchist activist, or a mother, or a cook, or a grandmother, or a wife, or a partner, or an educator. We remember because it may help us in our life on this planet. Too many people don't learn. Too many people don't want to learn. Too many people don't want to mourn. Uh, Ellen Jose's funeral will be held on Friday, the 16th of June. It'll start at 1pm, be held at Ricketts Point in Beaumaris. That's the Marine National Park at Beaumaris, Ricketts Point. Her 
2008 sculpture. It'll be held next to a 2008 sculpture, Bunarong Blossom, which paid homage to the Bunarong women and children who had come to that point for over 40,000 years to gather, to talk, to live. It's an open way fun- it's an open air funeral. As I said before, we consider you to be part of our family. You're welcome to come. Two requests. One you wear a splash of blue, Ellen's favourite colour, and two, if you have a garden, bring flowers from your garden. Thank you for uh, listening to me today. Thank you very much for all your support over the years, especially to all those who met Helen during the many campaigns we were involved in and spoke to her and worked with her over the decades. It's been an honour to have known you. So let's hope we can celebrate her life in the way it should be celebrated. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, next week, The Anarchist World this week uh, is produced, created, in the studios of uh, Melbourne's Community Radio 3CR. Next week will be Radiophone Week. 3CA is one of the few community radio stations which relies on its listeners to survive and doesn't rely on government grants or private corporations to survive. And uh, I attempt to raise about... Well, I have attempted, never succeeded. We always seem to stop around 12000 to raise about $15,000 towards the running costs of the community radio station 3CR. Now, as far as our listeners in other states are concerned, I will be doing a uh, another program which will be broadcast next week. But if you do listen to the Anarchist World this week via the community radio station of 3CR, it is our radio for uh, week and I encourage you to uh, give money. It is tax deductible if you've got a job because it's important that we keep institutions like 3CR on air for all eternity. So that's Radiophon next week, but I will be doing a special program for the rest of the country uh, uh, which will be uh, heard via the Community Radio Network. But all those listeners to 3CR... um, all those direct listeners to 3CA, don't forget it's Radiophon Day next week. Now, our Defend and Extend public housing campaign continues in conjunction with Friends of Public Housing in Melbourne. It hasn't been a rousing success. And the main reason for that is all the major political parties are committed a hundred percent committed to privatizing 
public housing, either directly or indirectly, directly by handing over titles to privately owned organisations, indirectly by handing over management to privately run organisations, or by entering into programs via public-private partnerships to build public housing, or by giving over public housing to social community and affordable housing groups, which are essentially private organisations, some for profit, some not for profit. So an ideological decision has been made to privatise public housing. And the Victorian government especially is moving forward rapidly to ensure that what is left of the public housing sector disappears and to wash its hands. That's right, wash its hands of providing housing to all the citizens of of the state of Victoria. And and no wonder we are seeing so much housing stress in the community, so many people not being able to actually access housing or are homeless or are couch surfing or are using 50 to 60% of their wages to pay rent. I'm not that familiar with the public housing struggles in the rest of Australia, but I'm very familiar with the public housing struggles in Victoria. And I'm very familiar with what the Labor government has been doing in this state for a number of years now in terms of destroying the public housing sector while talking about protecting it. I've got a solution. It's a very simple solution. Ever heard of stamp duty? Well, if you ever bought a house, you'll know you will pay stamp duty to the government. It's a tax. Stamp duty is a tax. And what happens to that six, last year, $6 billion was collected in stamp duty. Another 3 or $4 billion was collected in land tax, but that's another issue. So what happens to that $6 billion? Well, it's used for government business, used to make a few new roads or remove a few level crossings or provide some uh, basic services. So a tax which is paid when people purchase property is then used by state governments to run their affairs. And we've got to remember that billions of dollars in land tax that companies and people owning more than one property pay every year are also collected by the state government. Now, on all available indicators, you've only got to listen to a radio program or read a paper, Victorian Australia is in the midst of a housing affordability crisis. Paradoxically, the Victorian Labor government's response to this housing crisis to destroy what's left of the public housing sector. Less than 3% of Victorians live in public housing. Over fifth Today, over 15% lived in public housing 20 years ago. When you listen to discussions about public housing, the word public housing has consciously been excluded from discussions about housing. The Victorian Labor government has put all its housing eggs in the community, social, affordable, housing and private public partnership basket. They are consciously and willfully 
using every means available to a state government to muddy the waters about what they are doing. Social, community and affordable housing is not synonymous, not synonymous with public housing. Public housing is owned and managed by the state. It attempts to provide safe, secure, affordable housing for people who find it difficult to rent in the private marketplace. The government's, the Victorian government's love affair, love affair with the private sector, with private-public partnerships has resulted in a 70% for private housing, 30% for public housing ratio. So what happens is government gives land away, which is owned by you and me, the public, to the private sector. They make a buck, a big buck, by building lots of private units, and then maybe 20% of what's left will, you know, the more unsavoury, smaller units will then become public housing, which will then be managed and owned by the affordable community social housing sector. A strong public housing sector has a lot of benefits for all Australians. Because what it does, it puts downward pressure on housing prices and allows first home buyers to enter the market. It also puts downward pressure on rents. But unfortunately in this country, this country's uh, economic uh, miracle over the last 20 to 30 years has been based on two things. One, increasing housing prices, making housing a commodity, making an investment commodity, That's what it's about. So, wouldn't it be easy? It doesn't take much. You don't need a revolution. You don't need blood in the streets. You don't need public executions. You don't need beheadings. You know? Wouldn't it be easy? Wouldn't it be easy to quarantine... The $6 billion which is raised in stamp duty every year in Victoria and the billions of dollars that is raised in stamp duty in the rest of Australia, wouldn't it be easy to quarantine this money to build and manage public housing? For $6 billion, you could build over 25,000 new houses every year over 25,000, which could accommodate almost 100,000 people every year. You could find within a decade there'd be almost a quarter of a million, over a quarter of a million new public houses. But we allow... We allow these governments to use that stamp duty money for other purposes... Why should money that's raised by stamp duty be used to cons- for consolidating revenue when it can be used to 
overcome the housing affordability crisis so many Australians find themselves in today. It's a tragedy that the Victorian State Labor government and governments across this country and political parties across this country continue to promote housing policies policies that were discredited decades ago. We saw the privatisation of the Commonwealth Bank in 1982 give the private banks free reign to do what they like. We saw the privatisation of Telstra in the 1990s. See the telecommunications private marketplace do whatever it likes, gouge profits. We saw the privatisation of the electricity and gas sector in Victoria and and many other states in this country. And what did it lead to? Did it lead to increased competition, lower prices? No. Less competition, higher prices. So every time we have seen the privatisation of essential public assets, we have seen the public pay the price for that privatisation. Is it time that major political parties cease being apologists for the private sector, cease providing public money to the private sector, cease passing legislation which promotes private sector profits before public good? Think about it. Well, Defend and Extend Public Housing is committed to hold gatherings and rallies outside the Victorian Parliament House for the next state election at the end of 2018. On Wednesday the 7th of June, which is a parliamentary sitting day, we will be there from midday to 1pm. On Wednesday the 5th of July, we will be there, although the politicians get a winter recess. Who else gets a bloody winter recess? And we will be there on the 9th of August, parliamentary sitting day, midday to 1pm. And we will be there on Wednesday the 6th of September, another parliamentary sitting day, and Wednesday the 18th of October, and Wednesday the 1st of November, and Wednesday the 13th of December. We will be there because the issue of public housing will not go away by outsourcing the responsibility to provide housing to private organisations which are bankrolled by the state government. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australian Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to us as Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. If you're sick and tired of all this privatisation crap and you want to put public interest before corporate interests, well, think about joining public interest before corporate interests. You can download... The um, you can download their application form by going to pipsy p i b c i dot net pipsy p i b c i dot net. Go to their Facebook page. You can also go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Go ahead, make my day. Join public interest before corporate interest because you want more of the same. Well, you keep doing what you're doing. If you want something a little bit different, change tack. Change strategy. Change your attitude. This is the Anarchist World this week. Now let's move on to wages. As I said last week or the week before, you know, 
you know, you've you got to be a genius. You've got to be a genius to be an economist, a real genius, especially a capitalist-loving economist. You've got to be a total genius. Not only do you need a PhD and Nobel Prize in economics, you even need to do a little bit of fudging of the figures. You've got to be a genius. I'm just, it's extraordinary. So how have we got? Now, in a capitalist society, and again, this is very simple, even an idiot like me can understand this, private organisations, whether they're corporations or small businesses, have one function and only one function, to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders and owners, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national cost. It's that simple. I mean, BHP has no responsibility to the Australian people. Telstra has no responsibility to the Australian people. The Commonwealth Bank has no responsibility to the Australian people. Privatised organisations are beyond the reach of the law and the Australian people in the majority of cases. They have no responsibility to the national good. They have no responsibility to the citizens and residents of this country. Their primary responsibility is to their owners and major shareholders. It's that simple. That's what capitalism is about. You make a buck, doesn't matter how you make that buck, if you can get away with it, well and good. If you can get away with not paying taxes legally, well and good, because there's no legislation in place. Well and good. If that means that a public health sector is, is run down, or there's no public education sector, or it's run down, or there's not enough money to provide essential services for people like housing, well, so be it. That's the nature of capitalism. But capitalism has one very, very, very weak point. It needs you, the consumer, to spend. If you don't spend or you can't spend, they've got a problem because they can't make a buck. It's very simple. You've got a problem. They've got a problem. And in this country, we have seen the lowest wage growth in the history of this country since Federation in 1901. And we have seen the highest rents and housing prices in this country since 1901. And we have seen everyday bills increase, especially government charges and private charges, electricity, gas, goes on and on. Increase, rates increase as housing prices increase. So what does that mean? If wages don't increase because the trade union movement has been beaten into submission through legislation which even denies trade unionists access to their members on a work site, what happens? There is no wage growth. If there's no wage growth, capitalism begins to have a crisis because people don't have the disposable income to buy shit. They don't have it. So you don't get economic figures. You get recessions. You don't get those wonderful, you know, profitable 
economic figures which keep a smile on the dial of those who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And my apologies to Professor Julius Sumner Miller. Why is it so? Why is it so? Is it because we are a poorer community? No. We have seen extraordinary growth in wealth. But that growth in wealth has been restricted to less than 10% of the population. It's restricted to that 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and the other 10% that has the disposable income to use this country's investment-friendly laws to expand their economic empire and while reducing their taxation liabilities. And what that means is there's less resources for essential infrastructure like social security benefits, public health, public education, public infrastructure. So we find ourselves in this situation where even the employers are lamenting the problem of wages. So what does the Fair Work Commission do? All those heroes and heroines who sit in the Fair Work Commission, government appointees who sit in the Fair Work Commission, what do they do? They increase the basic wage by $22. 50 cents an hour while slashing penalty rates. That's right. But are they slashing penalty rates for the police? No. For paramedics? No. For nurses? No. For public servants? No. And you know why they're not reducing penalty rates for them? Because they have strong associations and unions. And they will take industrial action to ensure that doesn't work. But when it comes to the poorer workers in retail the unorganised workers, retail, hospitality, pharmacy, those who require penalty rates in order to meet their financial commitments and send their kids to school and pay their rent or mortgage, well, you slash it. It doesn't matter if it happens over two years, but it means a decrease in wages. So while everybody's lamenting about the fact there are no wage rises, even the employers, so people can't buy things, we now legally slash wages. And when I see Mr Turnbull, such a boring little man, such a boring little man, such a boring, boring, boring little man, say that a decrease in penalty rates is good for business... And workers, because it means more people be employed in, you know, in slave-like conditions. I shake my head. I mean, here we are in a position where we should be looking at the big end of town. We should be looking at legislation, passing legislation, which ensures that multi-billion dollar corporations who now pay voluntary taxation actually pay some real tax so we can look after the people living in this country. So what do they do? They turn on Social Security beneficiaries. Turn the screws. Don't answer 42 million 
calls, not have enough staff to deal with the situation, create a them and us mentality, denigrate the 33% of Australians, the one in three Australians who require on social security benefits to survive, old age pensioners, single parents, new start allowances, students, turn on them. Talk about them as if they're bludgers, the enemy, welfare. Extraordinary, this boring little man, this boring little man has got more assets than you can poke a stick at. You know, he's now turning his attention to government, reigning in government costs. Because this boring little man, this boring little Mr Turnbull, can't even muster the numbers in his own party to pass legislation to force the big end of town to cough up a little bit of tax, maybe just 5% would be more than adequate, while paying billions of dollars in corporate welfare to these little maggots who somehow think we, you and me, and all the people we know, have been put on this planet for their benefit. What a boring, boring little man who tries to stand up and say, you know, we're going to be strong on terrorism. Trying to deflect people's eyes from what's actually happening in this country. Yeah, we are in the midst of a terrorist crisis in Australia. And it's a real terrorist crisis. Not just in fits and starts, but a real terrorist crisis. We have terrorists who own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication in this country. Terrorists who are honoured, honoured as great Australians when they set up philanthropic trusts. Terrorists who put their own personal fortune and their company's personal interests before the interests of the population as a whole. People who this government and the opposition are unwilling to confront because of the boring little people, the boring little people in this country's media who cough and splutter about nothing in particular, who carry on about the least important issues and never refuse to hit or bite the hand that feeds them because they know Their long-term survival, their future is dependent on them following the company line, on them talking about the same crap every day, the same boring analysis, the same boring little people giving their opinions on what's happening in the world today. What a pathetic state of affairs you and I find ourselves in, in this country, the land of milk and honey, the land down under, in 2017. Extraordinary. An extraordinary situation. And we hang our heads low and don't look left and right and are terrorised, terrorised by governments who somehow think their primary responsibility 
is to protect the profits and power of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, who are not even willing to pass legislation or put up legislation for debate that stops people owning 100 homes from claiming a tax deduction on every one of those homes legally. And that's the beauty of living in the land and owners if you've got assets. It is such a wonderful thing. That is the beauty of living in the land of Oz when we have all these assets. And the beauty is that the more you have, the more corporate welfare you receive. The more you have, the less taxes you pay. You don't have to do anything illegal. Just follow the law and you'll become rich and famous. Extraordinary. And you'll get your little honours. And you'll be acknowledged in the Queen's birthdays honours list. What a pathetic country we live in. We have two days in which Australians are honoured. The Queen's birthday. Who gives a bloody shit about the Queen and the British monarchy? And the Queen's birthday and Invasion Day. Extraordinary. But somehow it highlights the type of country we've become. Think about it. Think about it. Just think about it. Every day, you put up the same crap. Every day, you hear the same analysis. Every day, the same heads bop up. Every day, it's the same vacuous statements about nothing in particular, while the real issues are never canvassed in any depth. They're mentioned occasionally, but never canvassed, never followed, never acted on. And we go through this ritual every three to four years of casting a ballot when you and I know, deep in our hearts, the way Parliament is currently structured, that change is almost impossible. Because you've got the puppets and the puppet masters. So what are you going to do about it? Well... You can do what I do, mourn and organise. Mourn and organise. I can walk and chew gum at the same time. And so you you too can walk and chew gum. Or you can tut-tut and say how bad it is and withdraw into your own private world. And that's an option which many people take and say, stuff it. It's just me against the world. Stuff it. Or you can say, this is no way for human beings to live. This is no way for a society to function. This must change, not should change, or you hope for change, but must change. And that change doesn't come from violent acts because you can't blow up a social relationship. All you do by using violence is reinforcing that social relationship, giving the state the armaments it needs to protect itself by removing what few rights and liberties you have via new legislation. It comes through mass action. It comes from people getting together. It comes from people saying enough is enough. It comes from people getting together and saying, you want to jail me for my you know, my political beliefs because I want a better world, I want an egalitarian community? Well, you go ahead and do so. 
Because as soon as you raise your fist and use violence, you will find that you'll be ostracised, pushed aside, ignored. They love violence. The state thrives on violence. It has a monopoly on the use of force. It is its reason for existence, to protect its citizens. It's very essence of its being. And it's non-violent direct action. It's organising. It's forming groups. It's forming associations. It's using those few political liberties you still have. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Day in and day out. That is what it is about. We need to take non-violent action. Initially, it'll be small groups. But those groups can grow and they can federate and they can form a different society. Because ultimately... The type of society you and I live in isn't dependent on what legislation they want to pass, but it's dependent on what type of pressure we can place on those people who exercise power in our society. Why can't we put enough pressure on a state government to say that, that all money that's raised by stamp duty goes in to provide public housing? Why can't we put enough pressure on a government to say Corporations should pay, you know, should pay tax. You could have a turnover tax, 1% turnover tax. You could have a 1% stock market turnover tax. There are different taxes via which you can capture resources from the public sector, from the private sector. And if people say, well, they won't invest in the country, who gives a shit If they don't invest in the country, we have the resources, both human and physical. We have a miserable 25 million people living on a continent. This isn't Bangladesh with 150 million people living on a a floodplain. This isn't some little mountainous enclave that's got nothing except snow and water. This is a continent rich in resources, both human and and physical. And we have allowed ourselves to think that it's only those with wealth that can create wealth. Why shouldn't our mineral resources be in public hands? Why shouldn't we develop those resources? Why should we allow private corporations to have a monopoly on the use of those resources and then throw us a penny in a begging bowl, you know, whenever we squeal. Extraordinary. Chevron, my favourite multi-billion dollar company, won't be paying any tax on the northwest Northwest gas shelf for 30 years, legally. We've got this Adani mine in Queensland, money thrown at it. It's extraordinary. But that's we've allowed it to occur. We have allowed it to occur because we have been waiting for someone the Messiah, someone. We've been waiting for somebody to do something about that because there are two tribes in Australia, and I keep saying this over and again. There is the somebody should do something about that tribe who sits back and says, oh, nobody's done anything about that. That's a pity. And and then there's the Gunner tribe. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Well, what I 
urge you at the end of this, the Anarchist World this week, is to cut your links with the Gunner tribe. Cut your links with the somebody should do something about that tribe. And remember, we are the people we've been waiting for. We, you and me, we are the people we've been waiting for. Not them. Not them. We. We are the people we've been waiting for. We. I encourage you to get involved in the activities. Get involved in defend and extend public housing activities. Get involved in the public interest before corporate interest activities. Anarchist Institute activities. The Wednesday Action Group. Get involved. Because if you don't, nothing will ever change. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia and the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can go to my public um, Facebook page, Toscana, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, the number for the public, Toscana for the public, to see the activities that I'm personally involved in. You can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. You can go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest website, pipsy.net. And there's many other things you can do. And if all this is of no interest to you, form your own group, form your own organisation. Change comes from people peacefully, together, agitating for change. Violence is the aphrodisiac of the state. Peaceful, direct protest, direct action, peaceful, direct action is the aphrodisiac of the people. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can go to 3cr.org.au. Don't forget that if you're a listener to Community Radio 3CR, next week is the 3CR Radiophone Week. I'm attempting to raise $15,000 in an hour. If they can do it, we can do it. So remember, listen in to the Anarchist World this week for the special Radiophone edition. And if you're listening to this program outside of the Melbourne area, we will have a special program for you to be broadcast via the Community Radio Network because obviously you need to contribute to your local community radio station to keep them on air for the next year because without your local community radio station, you wouldn't be listening to programs like the Anarchist World This Week. Listen in to your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network to the Anarchist World This Week, Next Week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Brainwash minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.